So I went on a little vacation last week. Usually I go on vacation with family or friends, but I decided I needed to strike out on my own this year. I just went for three or four days, and I read, and I slept, and I ate, and I prayed. And for whatever reason, I hiked a lot. In five days, almost 50 miles. When you see me after Mass, tell me I've lost weight and I look fit. Even if I don't look that way, lie, I'll absolve you. For whatever reason, as the week went on, I challenged myself to hike longer and longer. Kind of a competitive thing with myself. And on Thursday, I walked four hours or four miles in the morning and the afternoon another ten miles. And when I got to mile four of the afternoon walk, I saw a sign that made me so happy as I crossed a rural road. It pointed me to a roadside stand that was a mere 300 feet, the sign said, from the trail. And it said, ice cold water, clean bathrooms, fresh fruit, comfortable chairs and snacks, an absolute oasis in the desert. I decided I would hike to the five mile mark and come back. So it was just two miles, I thought to myself, with an extra skip in my step. And those two miles included a pungent hog farm and a little tree, very little tree cover. So it was hot and I was ready to stop at mile six. And I pulled off the trail and made my way to Oz as I looked forward to ice cold water, clean bathrooms, even though I didn't have to go to the bathroom, fresh fruit, a comfortable chair, and snacks. The sign was on the trail, was also replicated on the wall of the building, except a banner that was across the front of the sign that said, close for the season, thank you. My oasis quickly turned into a mirage, and I said to myself, thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to suffer with you. Okay, that's what I wish I said, but I got really, really angry. You'll be closed for good when I burn this place down, I thought to myself. The sign taunted me as I walked back to the trail. I wanted to kick it. I was grouchy for the rest of the walk. That's four miles of pouting. Bikers would cheerfully greet me on the trail and say, good afternoon. I said, it was easy for you to say, you're sitting down. It was a beautiful day ruined by a promise of happiness that quickly evaporated. And I started to think of the many mirages in our own lives, false gods that make promises to us of happiness, wealth, and pleasure only to be denied by the very happiness for which we long. That mirage of wealth, promiscuity, power, success, popularity, and worldly adulation, they fail to make us ultimately happy because they come from the, the world that is, not, uh, that is uh, not eternal. So we find ourselves disgusted and angry on the journey of life by them. It's simple. The world cannot satisfy our deepest longings. In today's gospel, Jesus is on a hike of his own, heading through Gentile territory in the region of Caesarea Philippi. He's walking with his disciples, journeying along the way, as scripture scholars call it in Mark's gospel. The way is mentioned seven times in the gospel to identify Jesus' journey to Jerusalem to fulfill his destiny, to suffer and die for us. It's a key time for the disciples as well and for their instruction about infinite happiness instead of sinful mirages that they meet along the way that they must leave behind. As they journey, 
I'm sure there was laughter among friends, then more walking. Perhaps there was bantering about politics and maybe a few jokes. I mean, there were songs and prayers to the Father, then more walking. I'm sure there were moments of silent reflection that led Jesus to ask an important question. Who do people say that I am? Perhaps they kept walking for a while before anyone had the nerve to answer. Elijah, yes, Elijah, the tradition promised that he would usher in the messianic age. More walking, and another said, John the Baptist, he too was ushering in the kingdom. Others a prophet, more silence, more walking. And then came the moment of decision when Jesus asks them to commit. And you, who do you say that I am? Many believe that when Jesus asked the question, he and his disciples had arrived in the city called Pinehas, where the ancient Canaanites, Greeks, and Romans had all built sanctuaries to gods because of a cave known as Pon. Inside the cave there was a seemingly bottomless pit that flowed with a seemingly unlimited quantity of fresh water that flowed through the city. Not only did it make the pagans marvel, it also was the source of lush vegetation, an oasis in the desert that would solve all the problems of the journey in the desert. Or was it a mirage? For just like the mirages in our lives, the cave of Pond dried up leaving a city that more resembles a skeleton. I've been there myself. You are the Christ. It, was exactly, it wasn't exactly a logical response as they were standing in front of these massive temples with elaborate niches populated with mighty gods and pagan, pagan temples. Jesus, by comparison, must have looked pretty small in front of them. But St. Peter chose correctly which speaks of his deep faith in Jesus. In other gospel accounts, Jesus names St. Peter the Rock, on whom he will build his church at that moment. St. Mark, though, is a man of few words, and in his gospel, he remains silent. And in the moment when the disciples should be celebrating the revelation of the long-awaited disciple, you are the Christ, Jesus comes with another prediction, his rejection Suffering and death, not exactly the image Jews in the first century had for the Messiah. How were they going to sell this in Jerusalem? People would cling to the gods of their mirages. The scriptures tell us that St. Peter takes Jesus aside to talk sense into him. You can't be talking about this stuff of suffering and death. After all, this isn't going to fly when we get to the big city. Jesus reprimands St. Peter, get behind me, Satan. Surely there was an awkward silence as it continued walking along the way. It was a real conversation stopper. Then comes the part of the good news of Jesus Christ that really doesn't seem like good news at all. Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. For a lot of years, I thought the term the cross described any annoyance that was inflicted upon us. You know, sickness, a bad day, an annoying person. 
But the crosses that Jesus had in mind are things that we take on or reject for the sake of the gospel. Things that we do or don't because we love Jesus more than the gods of this earth. And by asking this question, Jesus is forcing the disciples to choose him over those small g gods. That's overwork, over material things, over money, sports, or your most treasured relationships or an oasis with cold water, clean bathrooms, fresh fruit, a chair, and snacks that were simply a mirage. Jesus must come first. And when we make the decision to deny ourselves for the sake of the gospel, we have accepted the cross, and we are on the way to eternal life and eternal happiness with Jesus. We have found authentic Christian faith. Our gospel this weekend challenges us to progress along the way with Jesus. If we don't accept crosses and if we do not demonstrate our service of his kingdom, are we really his followers? And are we on the way at all? Or are we lost and headed to some enticing mirage that will ultimately lead us to emptiness.